0: Paul and Silas in prison. Once when we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them then before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged and were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them very carefully Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison door open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved and they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family.
1: Thank you, Claire, for reading that so beautifully to us. What an action-packed um, time that was in uh, in Philippi for Paul and and Silas for the team. Just uh, a lot happening there. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, there's. A lot of action in that story and sometimes life has a lot of action in it and I want to pray for us as we look at this text and as we uh, learn from it let me pray our father we thank you for this word thank you for Paul the apostle and for the team around him thank you for the the heart that they had for you thank you that though they were living in a time when there was economic uncertainty there was wars and famines and plagues and natural disasters happening in that region around those decades like in our time and yet uh, they didn't become overwhelmed they didn't let themselves get distracted from what you had called them to do as your people as your church Uh, so Lord help us I pray as we deal with personal struggles uh, personal challenges social economic all sorts of challenges in our world right now And Lord, help us focus in on you this morning and see that you you are the way, the truth and the life. That you are the one to whom we should come. You are the one who has the words of eternal life. uh, And that you want to teach us and want us to learn from this word. So help us, Lord, uh, not be distracted, not ignore the reality of our lives and our world. But to listen and learn from this text what you want to say to us this morning. uh, That your Holy Spirit would speak to us through this word and that you would give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding uh, as we head out to live our lives this week, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, good to see you all, and we are in a bit of a, an overarching series. Oh, in, in term, uh, where are we? Term two kind of wrapping up, term three coming soon. School holidays this week? Yeah? Who's happy about that? Yeah, a few people. Um, That's good to hear. Just hoping my stuff doesn't fall off here. Um, So we're in a bit of a series, and I'll just touch base quickly with last week. If you weren't here, that's fine. It's not like a a sitcom where if you miss an episode, none of this will make sense, or a movie where you've seen Lord of the Rings Part 3, but you haven't seen, you know, 1 and 2. It'll make sense. Um, So we're we're looking at a church for everyone this morning uh, in our overarching series, a Jesus-shaped church, as we go through the Book of Acts, which is often, you know, called and focused on more specifically is the book about the holy spirit which it is by and large um as the church gets going but it's also the church that jesus is shaping uh, in the first century and and what's that church like so last week we looked at a cross-cultural church who remembers what culture is my definition it's not so much my definition but anyway i won't go into the technical side of it but um i haven't got the the thing actually do you want me to have that sam or can you give me that little little button thing you do it you sure you don't know where to change, though. <laughs> what, can, you, can I grab it? Thanks. Just throw it over the, the heads here. I'll catch it. No, don't do that. So last week, we looked at culture. We looked at some technical diff, uh, issues around culture, but mostly culture is how we do things around here and what it's like to be us. So your family has a culture. When two people get married, that's often a bit of a challenge. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, Sam. Um, There's often a bit of a challenge because you both come from a family culture, Uh, growing up and you think your family that's normal that's how you do things so you know when Amanda and I got married a number of years ago and start washing dishes after dinner I'm like well that's that's not how you wash dishes (laughs) and she's like that's not the cloth you use to dry the dishes that's the hand towel I'm like no that's that's the tea towel that's the hand towel Um, and there's some cultural things you work through around it's how you see the world, that's culture and you don't see your culture, you see things through your culture. So Peter last week, um, Jesus is trying to teach and train Peter to say as he reaches out to people who have a different culture to him, he's not to kind of judge them harshly or exclude them because they do things differently. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is going cross-culturally and then I kind of looked at um, this groovy slide which you can't see very well unfortunately but as we go on mission there's a number of things that are happening for Peter and for Paul in the, the book of Acts. Um, they're finding common ground as they share the good news. They're embodying God's love. They're, they're actually not just telling people about Jesus. They're living with them. They're serving them. They're doing good things. Um, they're praying. They're listening to the Spirit of God. Just before this reading today um, there's a little part where Paul's heading off somewhere and, and he has a sense that the Holy Spirit is, is calling them to Macedonia as a vision so he's listening to God about where to go for the mission um, they're identifying the symbols the myths the rituals and the culture trying to understand those people this is what missionaries do every day but we're we're in a missionary culture now the church is moving more to the edge of society and there's a lot of different cultures in in our culture subcultures different ethnic cultures so we need to understand how do we communicate how do we connect and how do we find ways to do that and this is what Paul and Peter are doing um, perhaps it looks a bit technical but it's just What they've been doing in the book of Acts and it helps us see that there's a number of things to consider but mostly there's three things to consider from last week that Peter was doing and interesting you'll see that Paul's doing the same thing as he goes to Philippi last week we saw that Peter um, is up on the roof he's praying he's listening to God he's praying he's opening himself up to God and he's listening to the Holy Spirit leading him in his in his ministry Um, the second thing Peter does is he simply just shares the story of Jesus he shares his own story about Jesus. He shares about the historical Jesus, who he is, what he's done. He shares about Jesus. It's not a rocket science. He doesn't have to you know, know everything. Um, just like us, we don't have to know everything. We just have, have to have a story. If I'm a Christian, I have a story about Jesus. Um, and then this is what happens when we let the Spirit lead us, and when we share the story of Jesus and our story of that Jesus, God saves people. That's what happened to me. <laughs> Some Christians got together a long time ago and were praying to reach out to uh, crazy people and uh, people at, you know who were living outside of God and had a mission at, at a at a pub you know with their band to to share Jesus with people and they were praying about that for weeks and then a, a guy just out the front told me his story of Jesus shared it with me and invited me to to know that Jesus. So I said yes, and I prayed, and that 's how I came to know Jesus just like that so just what was happening in the new testament that 's how we we still do the same thing now you have a story of jesus it might not be dramatic or it might not be you know sort of hollywood style lights and actions but you have a story of jesus and when you share that just in your way naturally to you to others um when, when you do that as god leads you god saves people so this week paul does what peter did um listen it's, it's really the same there's a slight little addition here um, in the text and we'll have a look at that but it was there for Peter as well Paul listens to and is led by the Holy Spirit and prayer is a big part of that Paul shares the story of Jesus with Lydia with the slave girl effectively slave girl um, he, he calls on the name of Jesus for her and for the jailer he shares the story of Jesus with them and then as he's led by the Spirit as he's praying as he shares the story of Jesus when we let the Spirit lead us and pray and when we share the story of Jesus God saves people. It seems simple, doesn't it? (laughs) It seems so simple, but it's hard, right? Because we don't want to be rejected and we don't want to be, you know, hard to invite someone to church, say, or a Christian thing. It's like, oh, I want to be an undercover Christian. I want to be like a secret agent Christian. You know, I just go to work, I do my thing, and I just, I'm an undercover Christian. But actually, in the New Testament, the Jesus-shaped church, there are no undercover Christians. There's only public Christians, people who, who are able to just, in their own words, in their own way, talk about who Jesus is and what he has done. So let's have a look at this text today. Lydia um, Lydia is an amazing character in the Bible. And again, no one's here by accident. Um, there were thousands of people converted in the book of Acts. There were thousands and thousands of people came to faith. So when someone is, an ident- is identified directly like this, it's, it's Luke. It's the Spirit of God through Luke wanting to let us see something a bit more about what's happening. Now, Lydia was an amazing woman. Um, She was wealthy, very wealthy. Purple cloth was an exclusive, like Gucci, I don't know, Yves Saint Laurent. Who who are the designers? I don't know women designers, but um, it it was exclusive garments. This is like New York, you know, high-level garments that she was manufacturing and selling. She's a, a, a wealthy woman, a businesswoman. Um, She's educated. Uh, We know that because she's uh, described as a God-fearer or a God-worshipper. So she was connected to to the Jews, maybe not a synagogue, there wasn't one in Philippi, where she understood about the Old Testament law and she was learning about the Old Testament faith. She was open to God. She was educated. She was a Gentile, perhaps Greek, so she wasn't a Jewish person. So she was outside of those... Jewish we saw last week Peter had to go outside of the Jewish world into the Gentile world she was seeking God she was confident Um, she was a confident woman we'll see that by her invitation to Paul after she becomes a Christian and 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 his team to come to her house and stay at her house and effectively I think if you read into that her house became the house church in Philippi Um, and that's um, quite likely she was generous and hospitable Um, she cared for the these mission workers ministry workers and she was single because she invites them to her house and if she was married she wouldn't be inviting them to her house the husband as the head of the house would have invited her that was the culture Um, she was victorious She she was a winner in the culture if you like she was high up and she was victorious um, I'll just hone in on the fact that she was single and um, just channel a bit of Beyonce here and Destiny's Child. All the single ladies. Now in the, in the Bible, single women in the New Testament particularly play a really interesting role in the mission of the church. And um, you'll see here she says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord after she comes to faith, um, come and stay at my house. And then at the end of the story of, of this chapter 16, when Paul and Silas come out of jail, Um, They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Who were the brothers and sisters? It's like three people came to faith, right? No, Lydia and her whole household, which would have been maybe other relatives, slaves, workers in the house, workers. Uh, The jailer came to faith, didn't he? But his whole household, maybe children, um, extended family, Uh, workers, servants in the house. So there might have been 20, 30, 40 people here. This is the church in Philippi has begun. So a few more here this morning, but that's how the church started. Now, in the New Testament, you'll see back in Acts chapter 12, um, Peter, when he comes out of being arrested, he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John. Now, again, we know she's single because if she was married, it wouldn't be the house of Mary, it'd be the house of John. That's just how it would work. Um, or whatever her husband's name was, uh, where many people had gathered and were praying. The church was was gathered at at her house. And then in Colossians, Amanda pointed this out to me this week. Um, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house, the church that meets in her house. So single women and prominent women often played a really important role in the New Testament in the church. And in its mission going forward, hosting um, mission workers and ministers, uh, gathering the church day by day, week by week for prayer and fellowship and worship. And I find that really interesting. And I just put it there as an aside for all the single ladies. Um, Single men too uh, can have that role. Slave girl. Now, what do you notice about her? What's different to the slave girl and to Lydia? What's the most obvious difference? The name. The name. Lydia has a name because she's important. She's elite. She's wealthy. Slave girl has no name. She's a no one. She's a nobody. No one cares about her. She's unnamed. She's uncared for. She's used. They're using her for money um, because she has some sort of um, possession, demonic thing happening where she can forecast things or give give kind of words out like this prophetic thing. It was un, not uncommon in that culture uh, for people to look uh, to certain people in temples and whatnot to give words from the gods. Uh, So she was earning money for her owners. She was under oppression. She was oppressed. She was owned and oppressed. And she was a victim. If Lydia was victorious, a victor in the culture, she was a victim. And yet the gospel comes to her as well uh, in that story. Now, we only get a snippet, but I can imagine that after she's delivered from this evil... When Paul says, "In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her," he knows what's going on, and we shouldn't read into this that all mental illness or all problems are demonic or or evil at their root. But we, neither should we say that there aren't times when people can be oppressed to a point that there is a demonic evil activity there, and we need to have a have an open uh, sort of sense as a church to to look at the therapeutic. You know, perhaps it's just you know biological and medical and you need some rest and some medication Um, but perhaps there's spiritual aspects too to oppression and to people's mental intense suffering so we need to pray for people as well do both we can do both professional medical help and prayerful pastoral help for people so Paul kind of senses after a couple of days this this girl is oppressed she's she's bound by this spirit and so he acts in the name of Jesus. It must have been dramatic in the, in the market square. This, again, this is all happening in the public. This isn't just hiding away somewhere in a church building. This is in the public realm. So imagine like you're down at you know, Mount Barker Shopping Center this week and there's this girl there giving out prophetic words to people under the power of some spirit. and you know, Someone comes in and in the name of Jesus and delivers. It's a very dramatic scene and would have caused a lot of attention. And the owners are really unhappy because... People don't like when their business model is disrupted and their business model is destroyed by the name of Jesus because Jesus cares more for this woman than they did, infinitely more. And Jesus wants her freedom and her deliverance more than they do. And so Paul speaks the word of Jesus to her and she is delivered. It's a beautiful moment. I would imagine that she becomes part of the church at Philippi at Lydia's house as well. And then there's the jailer, kind of three main characters in this story. The jailer, he's a powerful person in the culture. He has a senior position. He's fairly powerful. Um, he's corrupt. I'll tell you why I know that. Um, self-preserving. He's, when he comes out and says, you know, what must I do to be saved? He's not asking a theological question about the nature of salvation and Christology. He's basically saying, um, gentlemen, if you please tell me what, how I can get out of this mess. He's like, there's an earthquake. Prison doors are open. He's worried about his future because if the prisoners get out, he could be put to death because he's failed. So he's just preserving himself. He's not like, tell me about Jesus. He's like, nah, get me out of this mess. What, what do I need to do? Um, he was a villain. So Lydia was a victor. The slave girl was a victim. This guy's a villain. Jailers were were known for being villains, and. I'll just read the top bit. Prison was the most severe form of custody in that day. The inner prison, which Paul and Silas were in, was the worst possible place. Many would be confined in a small area. The air would be bad. The darkness would be profound. So it's thick black darkness. The stench would be almost unbearable. To be put in stocks or chains, which Paul and Silas were, was a typical overnight restraint that added even greater discomfort. So it's, it's amazing that Paul and Silas are in that position and they're not like... You know, if God loved me, like, why is this happening to me? <laughs> you know, if there's a God, why do bad things happen? No, they're in that situation, in a terrible situation. And they're not bad questions to ask, but they're in that situation. They're not like self-pitying. They're not saying, oh, you know, this is awful. We went out to serve Jesus, and this is what this is what you get. Like, oh, thanks a lot, God. You know, we've left our homes and our families, and we're serving you. And we ended up... No, they're not complaining or whinging. They're in that prison and they're celebrating God's goodness, they're singing, they're praying, and God acts really powerfully through that. But here's the bit about the jailer from a Philo, who was an ancient Jewish philosopher. Everyone knows how full of inhumanity and cruelty jailers are, pitiless by nature and care-hardened by practice. They are, brut- are brutalised day by day towards savagery they had a terrible reputation jailers they just could extort things from the prisoners they all their families it was you know, no system they were in control and they had a fierce reputation for being really dodgy bad people and so there's the jailer so you got these three characters really different really interesting characters And I love what Leonard Ravenhill says just about that passage. He was a preacher many years ago. I think he died in the 90s. Um, The early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. I think Leonard was onto something there. Something for us to hear. But what ties these three stories together, there's a few things, and I'll just quickly go through them. A place of prayer. Prayer ties these three stories together. So we see on the Sabbath, we went outside. This is Luke writing in the first person. It's a place in Acts where it goes from kind of third person to Luke is with Paul. He's writing in the, the, third person, the first person. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. They were pl- praying together as the people of God in groups. They were praying together as a group as they sought to do the Lord's work. They knew that we can't do this on our own. How are we going to tell people about Jesus? How are we going to do what God wants us to do? So they were praying together um, and and then they, an opportunity opens up and Lydia comes to faith. So they were listening to the Spirit, they were praying, they were sharing Jesus and Lydia came to faith in Jesus. And then just after that, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, this is just before the slave girl incident, again, they're praying together. So they're seeing God leading them. Then this thing opens up with the slave girl. Paul couldn't have done that on his own, but God leads him. He's praying to God. He's close to God. He knows what God's will is, and God leads him, and he's able to minister to this poor girl, this um, victim and oppressed uh, young woman. And then in the jail... They don't stop praying. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were probably singing psalms, by the way. They didn't have Hillsong back then or Matt Redmond. They would have been singing psalms. They would have memorized probably most of the psalms as Jewish men. They would have been singing those psalms, the word of God, and they were praying. And then as they're praying, God God acts again. God does something. So you've got prayer and then Lydia is converted. You've got prayer And then the slave girl is delivered and and healed. You've got prayer and then the jailer and his whole household is converted. So you'll see that the place of prayer is so vital for the church. We struggle with that. Every church I've ever been in, in my own life, we struggle with prayer because we, we have so much at one level. We're sophisticated in so many ways as a society. We can do so much without God, so to speak, but we can't change hearts and minds We can't help wealthy, educated, elite businesswomen. We can't help oppressed, demonized people. We can't help scoundrel, terrible, bad characters. We can't change their hearts or change their lives. We can't do that. But God can. As we pray, as we're led by the Spirit, as we share the story of Jesus, God saves people. It's really beautiful. And it's something that he calls us to be a part of. And the other thing you see in these stories, perhaps more so Lydia and the jailer, um, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. You see a, a move there of gospel, faith, baptism, church, so that the message of Jesus is shared, the person believes has saving faith, they're baptized, and then they enter the church that become part of the church community. You see that pattern there. The Lord opened her heart, she responded to Paul's message, which was the gospel. And the members of her household and her were baptized. Like it happened right there, right? Um, so that was a pattern there. You'll see it right through Acts. And then the jailer, um, he says, well, You know, help me out here. How can I get out of this mess? They're like, Well, believe in the Lord Jesus. They preach the gospel to him and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and his house and they believed. And then immediately all his household were baptized and they became part of the church at Philippi. And we know there was a church at Philippi because of philippians the letter to the church at philippi which paul wrote maybe a decade or so later maybe a bit longer and it's important to remind what um nt wright said last week that i quoted um the gospel's going out to all these different people and and you know the message this morning is a church for everyone the church is open to everyone the gospel's open to everyone but you'll see that, that move of pre- preaching jesus saving faith being baptized becoming part of the church so it's not just God accepts you as you are, where you are. He does at one level. But he doesn't leave you there. there. There's a process involved in coming to Jesus. It's not the case, says N.T. Wright, then, that God simply accepts us as we are. He invites us as we are, but responding to that invitation always involves the complete transformation which is acted out in repentance, like saying sorry, confessing our sins, being forgiven, being baptised into Jesus and the church community and receiving the Holy Spirit. That's the process of salvation and how it works. So if you look at it like this, we are Paul, Lydia, slave girl and jailer. That, that's us. Like we are Paul in, in as much as we are the ones, as Christians, called to listen and, and be led by the Spirit, to pray. Um, we're called, we're the ones, it's not going to be the rotary car club or you know the girl guides or some other organization in society that's going to tell people the story of jesus that's the church's job we're called to listen to the spirit to pray in our own lives and together we're called to share the story of jesus like paul did and when we pray and when we are led by the spirit and when we share the story of jesus god will do his bit (laughs) if we do our bit then god will do his bit he'll change hearts and minds you don't have to do that i don't have to do that And people will be transformed and redeemed and saved. People like Lydia, people like the slave girl, people like the jailer, all sorts of strange people. People in your family situation, people at your workplace. So you might be thinking, this guy's so far from God, or this woman's so far from God. Well, okay, that might be true at one level, but in actual fact, they're only one step of faith away from God. But someone needs to be led by the Spirit at the right time, in the right place, in the right way, share the story of Jesus for God to have an opportunity to move into their life. But we're also Lydia, the slave girl and the jailer, aren't we? We're also people whom God has reached through someone or a church or our parents being led by the Spirit, sharing the story of Jesus with us and God creating saving faith in our hearts. Is that right? Like none of us kind of woke up one morning and said, I think I will become a follower of Jesus today and believe in the gospel. No, someone brought it into our lives. If you think about your life, there may even be a number of people who influenced you at certain points to coming to saving faith. That's what happened to you and me. We are Lydia, the slave girl and the jailer. So a couple of things to finish with. A couple of so what's. So what? Well... So what? If Jesus welcomes and loves people like Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer, then maybe he accepts and loves me. (laughs) Maybe he accepts and loves you. Actually, not maybe. I put that in there to be controversial. Of course he does. Of course he accepts and loves you and me. But it helps us see this crazy group of people in Acts 16 like, wow, look at Jesus' love. Look at how he's reaching people. Look at who he's welcoming into his kingdom. All sorts of different people. A church for everyone. So that's so what, number one. So what, number two. Um, If Jesus welcomes and loves people like them and people like us, then maybe we ought to welcome and love those who are different to us. What do you think? Is it reasonable? Yeah. Who's in? I (laughs) mean and let me close with this um, bit from Philippians think about Paul think about the the great fellowship and the love and the community that they had but they had challenges as well as you read through Philippi Paul's asking for two women to make peace with each other because they've been arguing publicly in the church so no church is perfect but listen to what he writes I thank my God this is writing to Lydia. He's writing to the slave girl. He's writing to the jailer and others who've become Christians. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always thank God. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you, Lydia, in you, jailer, in you slave girl, in you people here this morning. He's going to keep doing that work. He's going to complete it. So trust him and put your faith in him. As the team comes up, I'll pray for us. Lord, we want to thank you for these beautiful stories. Thank you for Lydia. What an amazing woman she seemed. Thank you for the church that that met in her house. Thank you for the way that the church grew and, and expanded there in Philippi. Thank you that the slave girl was delivered from this evil, from being exploited and used against, from this great injustice that was committed against her. Thank you for your love that, that saved her. Thank you for the jailer that though in that culture he was perhaps a, a corrupt person, a very um, you know, difficult, a very nasty person in that culture with power. Thank you that you changed his heart and you saved him. Lord, we commit ourselves to you and surrender ourselves to you afresh today. Would you help us to pray, to pray daily, to pray with others? Would you help us to be led by your Holy Spirit, uh, to share the story of Jesus, to share our story of who Jesus is to us, that we might partner with you in saving people and seeing their lives transformed. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, that you are the hope of the world. And thank you that this world needs your hope and you more and more. Uh, Lord, bless us as a church. Strengthen us in our mission and our ministry. Help us serve you, Lord. Help us uh, do your will. Help us be led by your spirit. Help us be open and welcome others. And help us be ready to share that word of Jesus as you prompt us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.